But our final message on our Fixer Upper series, we've been talking about this for several weeks now, so get your sermon notes out, get your Bibles out, let's open up together to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, we're excited about the Bible, excited about what God's going to do in our lives and our hearts today, and so I pray that you join right in and listen to what God has in store for you. And through this series, we've been talking about a lot of things, and today I'm going to talk about two things. Two things are very important. Number one is finishing strong. We're going to talk about the value and the importance of finishing strong. Number two, we're going to talk about receiving rewards, earning rewards, and how these things apply to our Christian life. So first, finishing strong. We want to understand the value and the importance in our life of being able to, have, uh, to f- complete what we started, to be able to take something all the way through to the end, to be able to take the ball across the goal line, to, to actually make sure and close the deal. I mean, uh, how many times in our life have we not been able to finish something that we started? And, and we was, I think it's an incredibly valuable thing in our life if we be finishers. We want to finish strong. So that's something we're going to talk about and see what it looks like. And, and then we're going to talk about rewards. And we're going to answer the question, when I talk about rewards, we're going to answer the question, does it really matter what I do and what I don't do? We're going to, we're going to talk about that. I think it's an important question to ask in our life today. And, and the, the follow-up to that would be, are there any consequences to my actions or my inactions? Does it matter what I do and what I don't do? Are there consequences to my actions or my inactions? So finishing strong, receiving rewards. So let's look at the first one and see what we're going to talk about and, and how we want to finish strong. Let me, let me start with this question. Has anyone, by a show of hands, has anyone here ever started something and not finished it? Come on, let me see your hands all over. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you started to raise your hand. You couldn't even finish that. It was so busy, such a struggle in your life. We have trouble finishing things. And we've all been guilty of this in our life. We've all been guilty of projects or issues, things that we've started. And starting is fun. Starting is exciting. Starting has a sense of novelty to it. It's like we have, we're filled with hope and what can be, what possibly could happen. So starting, we get pumped up for starting. But finishing is a little different deal. It's a whole lot more difficult, you know. Sometimes when we get started, it's kind of like in a relationship and the, the novelty of it, the newness of it. You know, we jump into it full steam ahead and this is going to be incredible and we love each other and oh, it's awesome. It's kind of like our project sometimes. We jump into that project, we love it, it's going to be fantastic, we can't wait to do it. But then after a while, the work gets involved. And, and we realize Somewhere in the project, where that project is a person or project is something else, we realize somewhere in the project that it's a lot harder than we thought it would be. That it's going to take a lot more work, a lot more money, and a lot more time. Time. The worst of those is time, isn't it? Hey, let's get this knocked out. Man, it's taking forever. And so what we were pumped about initially, as time goes by, we start to wane a little bit. We start to withdraw, our passion starts to give up a little bit. And it's not because we don't want the reward. It's not because we don't want to finish the project anymore. It doesn't, it's not that we wouldn't like to do it. It's just that the pain of the process has become more clear to us than the joy of the reward. You know, whether you may be, okay, I'm going to take music lessons, or uh, I'm going to clean out that room, or that garage, or that 
basement, or I'm, I'm going I'm to read that book. I have started more books in my life, just confessional time. I have started more books that I don't finish. Because as soon as I start a book, somebody else says, hey, you need to read this book. Oh, okay, I'll start reading the back. I don't finish the book's enough. And so that whatever it is for you, it may be a new diet plan. I'm going to start that new diet plan. I'm going to start my new exercise program. We, we start, we're good at starting, but how many knows we need to be good at finishing? So we're going to talk about the importance of being a finisher in the body of Christ and what it means to be a finisher. So, so let's look at that because, see, God knew we were going to struggle with it, so he has a lot to say about it. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, we look at these last, three, last two gates We'll talk about just two gates today. In Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 29. And uh, you know what? I'm going to save some time. And I'm just going to call out the gates. <laughs> All these names. I read through the names. I'm just going to save some time. So verse, verse 29. Verse 29, they built the east gate and made repairs. And verse 31, they built the Mifkat gate. And made repairs as far as, as far as that room at the corner. So the two gates I want to talk about are the East Gate and the Mifkad Gate. All those names, you know, I don't read through those names. I'm sure they're important. I'm not discrediting the value of the people that built those gates, but it's just me stumbling across the pronunciation of all those gates. Just the East Gate. So I want to talk about the East Gate first. Time's sake. The East Gate's also called the Golden Gate. I was raised in Ellery, Illinois, not very far from Golden Gate, Illinois. Anybody know where Golden Gate, Illinois is? Yeah, I knew some people around here. Golden Gate. So the Golden Gate, the East Gate, what's the value of this Golden Gate? What does the Golden Gate, the East Gate represent? The East Gate represents, you ready? Finishing strong. So you can write that, finishing strong. This is about, the East Gate's about the return of Christ. Because this East Gate was on the east side of the wall, obviously. And it was the first gate that was opened every morning. As the sun would come up in the east, the east gate, that'd be the first gate of the wall that they would open up. So now, on this east gate, also another significance and why it talks about the return of Christ. When Jesus, you remember Jesus, when he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they waved all the branches and Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey. He came in through the east gate. Now, not the current east gate, but the east gate that Jesus came in is underneath the current east gate. They build the new wall on top of the old wall, but they believe it's in the exact same spot and that Jesus entered in through that east gate. And so the application is that Jesus came through that east gate as the lamb of God on a donkey, but he's going to return again and he's going to come through that same east gate into the temple when he returns and he will come back not as the lamb of God, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it's what's going to happen. Now, now, some significant things about this east gate. The prophecy about this east gate, of course, and, and Jesus returning, was very, very prominent. Well, in the 16th century, Jerusalem was under the control of the Turks, the Ottoman Empire. We've talked about this in our end time series. And one of the sultans there, Sultan Shulamane, I think the Magnificent was named. How many of you just calling yourself the Magnificent? Wouldn't you want to add that to your name? Steve the Magnificent or... Mary the Magnificent, whatever it may be. So Suleiman the Magnificent, he knew this prophecy about the Messiah returning through the East Gate. So here's what he did. So this picture, here's what the East Gate looks like today. He enclosed this East Gate to prevent, they wanted to do this to try and prevent the Messiah from coming back. This is under the Turkish Empire, the Islamic Empire. 
a lot of connections to modern day. So they thought they'll stop the Messiah because they'll build this east gate. And uh, so the Messiah will not be able to come through. They'll close it up. But God was always, how many know God's always one step ahead of the enemy? Because in Ezekiel chapter 44, a thousand years before this gate was closed up by the Turks, he made this prophecy in Ezekiel 44 verse 1. He says, then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces towards the east, but it was shut. It wasn't shut when Ezekiel wrote this. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened and no man shall enter it because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. Now, Jesus hadn't even entered into this gate on the donkey. That's 600 years later. And God's already said the Lord has entered in by this gate, but he hadn't yet, but he was prophesying about it. I just want to encourage you that God sometimes will tell you something's going to happen long before it really happens. He's faithful. So he prophesied that the Lord's going to enter into this gate and this gate will be shut 600 years and a thousand years before those two things happen. Incredible. So he prophesied this. So then they also thought the Ottomans, the, the Muslims also believed the prophecy that said Elijah must return before the Messiah. Now they didn't realize it was the spirit of Elijah that's going to come through John the Baptist, that John the Baptist would be the one who precedes Jesus. They thought Elijah the prophet would actually come back. And they believe Islamic teaching is that Elijah is a descendant of Aaron, who was a priest. And so they believed as a priest, a priest could not walk through a cemetery because it would make him unclean. So here's what they did. Show the next picture. They built a cemetery outside of the wall. That's an Islamic cemetery that they built outside of the east gate because they believed the sealed gate and the cemetery would prevent Elijah from coming back. And if Elijah can't come back, then Jesus can't come back. They think they're so smart. But do you see the signs? Speaks to that. But see, God, again, is always smarter than any of us are. In the book of Zechariah, when Jesus comes back, all these nations will come against Jerusalem. All these nations are going to surround Jerusalem, and it's going to be a war in Jerusalem. It's going to happen here in the end times. And the Bible says in Zechariah, there he says that Jesus will put his foot on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is directly to the east of the east gate. So you see stories, parables about Jesus on the Mount of Olives. That's just directly east of the east gate. It says Jesus will come, and he will put his foot on the Mount of Olives. And when he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, when he returns, the Bible says that the Mount of Olives will be split in two. It will be split in two, and part of the mountain will move to the north, and part of it will move to the south. That means the crack will run east and west. How about when he puts it, I don't know, I'm just speculating that maybe when Jesus puts his foot on the ground, this big earthquake that splits east and west will go right towards that gate and that earthquake will cause that gate to crumble and open up. I don't know if that's exactly what's going to happen, but I know that God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Man can try and stop him. The devil can try and stop. He can't stop. Jesus is coming back. He's going to put his foot on the, on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to enter into Jerusalem. Now, another key thing that I'll throw in. You see this picture. Show up this next picture. Uh, the one with the, yeah, see that gold dome? That's the Dome of the Rock. That's the sacred place for, for the nation of Islam there in Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock. This is their place that they believe they built this on top of where the original temple was. And uh, so they, they've got that there, and there's some big dispute because the Bible talks about that there has to be some things that Jesus has got to enter into the temple when he returns. Well, there's no temple right now. 
So there has to be a temple built before Jesus can enter a temple. Well, where's he going to build the temple? They're not going to get rid of the Dome of the Rock. They, they keep thinking this is going to happen. Here's what I believe. If you'll show the next picture, see, there's nothing right directly behind. So just to the right of the Dome of the Rock, I believe right behind the East Gate, that space right there is where they're going to rebuild the temple. And Jews and, and Muslims alike are going to have a place of worship in Jerusalem at the same time. This has to happen because once the temple's built, then they have to start offering sacrifices again. And once they start off, I'd like to talk about this a lot more, but we don't have time for it. But once they start out, uh, offering sacrifices again to God, this is where the abominations are going to take place. This is where the Antichrist is going, going to go in and make himself as God and being going to require worship towards him. And the, the abomination of desolation is what the Bible talks about, is where it's going to take place in that temple. But Jesus is going to have to come in and cleanse that temple and straighten everything out. So the East Gate, all that to say... All that to say the East Gate is about the return of Christ. And the reason I'm saying all that today is because I want you to understand, with each gate was about our walk with Christ. We need to know and we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming back. We need to live with a, an understanding that Jesus is going to return. Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says, hey, why do you guys keep looking up into the air? The same way that Jesus left this earth is the same way he's going to come back. I believe Jesus is coming back and I want to be ready. I want to finish strong. I want you to finish strong. I don't want you to get lost in the minutia of everyday mundane Christianity. I want you to remember Jesus is real and he's really coming back. There is a heaven and there is a hell and we got to realize that Jesus is the one that's going to come back and set up his kingdom on the earth. We can't lose sight of it. It's not just about church services and stuff like that. It's a reality that we have to keep in the forefront of our mind. First Thessalonians says it this way. He says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. The east gate is about the return of Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready? I'm not of the, I'm not of the uh, school of thought that think he could come back any moment. And if I burst anybody's bubble, then, uh, then I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody. My personal belief. You can study it out and believe how you want. I don't personally believe that he could come back any second. I believe there's a time frame that he's given us an idea on when he will come back. I personally believe he will return during and around the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. I believe he will return through there. It's the only feast that has not been fulfilled in Scripture. Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost has been fulfilled. I believe that feast, the trumpet will sound, Feast of Trumpets. He will return, he will gather us together, Feast of Tabernacles forever to live with him. Anyway, so I, that's why I believe he's coming back. Now, I'm not saying he's coming back this fall. I'm not trying to predict when he's coming back, but I believe we can know. The Bible says, what they say, though, you don't know the day or the hour. I don't know the day or the hour. I don't know that. I'm just not expecting him today. So what if you're wrong? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. All we got to do is be ready. I don't, don't, don't play the roulette and say, well, I'll just wait around. Maybe he's not coming. You better be ready. Be ready. And we'll talk about the importance of that. So again, this is what the East Gate's about. Let's look at the next gate. This is the Mythcad Gate. Mythcad Gate. It's also called the Inspection Gate. I used Inspection Gate because it's a lot easier to say. 
Inspection gate, and this gate is about rewards. So the two things we're talking about, finishing strong and rewards. A lot of times we don't talk much about rewards and what that means in heaven, but I want to make sure and communicate a little bit today that rewards are God's idea and not ours. God's the one. The Bible says that those who come to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God has rewards that he wants to divvy out. Now, how is he going to base those rewards? What are our, what are our rewards based on? This is, these are the things that we've got to look at and see what it, what it uh, means for us. But here's what the inspection gate is about. Here's what they did at the inspection. The inspection gate is where the troops would come back from a battle. So they'd come back from battle, and they'd enter in through this gate, and then the king would come. And the king would come, and he would inspect his troops, and he'd check them out. And he would see, he would hear about what happened in the battle and hear what they did. And and during this time when he would inspect the troops is where he would begin to give out awards for their service. So at the inspection gate is where the king would inspect them and he would hear what they did and he'd give, give them awards for their service in the battle. Well, I believe our application for us today is our king of kings is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to gather the troops. He's going to gather all the troops together, and we're going to face inspection. And at our inspection is where our rewards are going to be determined on how we live this life. See, there's two inspections that's going to happen. Number one is the great white throne of judgment. That's in Revelation chapter 20. There's two. There's the thronos and the bema. Thronos is the great white throne of God. The bema is the judgment seat of Christ. The thronos is for the unsaved. The bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is for those who've made Jesus the Lord of their life. So when you sit before the great white throne of judgment, look in in Revelation chapter 20. I gave it to you there. I saw the great white throne. He sits on it and uh, calls the dead, small and great. They stand before God. Books were open, and the book of life is open. The dead were judged according to the works by the things written in the books. The sea gives up the dead and all that. They were judged, each one according to his works. Listen to this part, verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We need to understand there's a reality. I talk a lot about uh, wanting us to understand what we can do in this earth. And I don't ever want anybody to think that that minimizes what I think about about heaven. There is nothing more important in our life than eternity. Nothing more important. And sometimes people minimize what they can do on the earth and they only talk about eternity. So that's why I try to emphasize sometimes what God wants us to do in the earth. But don't misunderstand me. There is nothing more important than eternity. Let me, let me, let me illustrate this. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try and illustrate this really quickly. Brian, would you come just grab, grab that and just let me reel this off. Well, yeah, you're just going to keep, oh yeah, just keep going. Okay, so you're, you're out there. I, you know, that thing goes, he, look how much he's still got in his hand. Here's what I want you to see, all right? This is a, just a quick illustration. I want you to see your life versus eternity. Your life right there, right there. The rest of this cable represents eternity. You're 90 years right there. You live to be 100, great job, right there. 
We were watching uh, Forever Young. Uh, what was it called? Yeah, there's this show about people, 103-year-old guy still singing gospel music. 91-year-old gymnast. She was incredible. 91 years old, still on the parallel bars. Fantastic. She was doing cartwheels at 91. So, but anyway, here's, here's your life. That's eternity. What you do with your life right now determines the rest. Do you see the picture? Do you see the importance? Here's my big life right here. That's eternity, plus what all he's got still in his hand. There's nothing more important than eternity. And this is what we're trying to see in this scripture. You just put that down. Thank you, Brian. This is what we're showing that, that we want to realize the rewards are based on what we do in this life determines how we're going to live the next life. Now, I'm not talking about, see, in 2 Corinthians, it gives this picture, the judgment seat of Christ. Let me bring this scripture up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 10. It says, for we must all appear for the judgment seat, the bema of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There are rewards that's going to be given to us based on what we do based on what we don't do. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 16, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with the angels and then he will reward each. Everybody say reward. He will reward each according to his works. According to his works. I looked up this word works. This word works doesn't just mean what you do. This word works is a Greek word that means a function or a practice. In other words, like a doctor opens up his own practice or a lawyer, you know, somebody opens up their own practice. So in other words, we will be rewarded based on our practice, based on what we were asked to do, we were created to do, each and every one of you. You're not gonna be rewarded based in comparison to someone else, you're gonna be rewarded based on what God asked you to do. Your practice. See, God's not going to reward me based on what Chad did. He's going to reward me based on what God called Chad to do. Big difference. Big difference. See, I can do what I want to do. I can, I, it doesn't matter. God gives me the freedom to do it. But all of my rewards are going to be based on what God asked me to do. 1 Corinthians says it this way. He says that we're all God's building. We're all his, his field. For no other foundation can anyone lay but Jesus Christ, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Here's the picture. Here's what he's saying. Everything that we build on in our life, everything that we do with our life, we're building a pile that's going to stand before God. And he's speaking here. He's talking to the church. So this is talking to believers. You're already in heaven. But we're going to stand before Jesus to be inspected for our rewards. And we're going to bring our pile of stuff, my 90 years worth of stuff that I spent all my time on and building this pile of magnificence. Here it is, Lord. Here's all my stuff. Here's my life, everything that I did. And so your Bible says there that, that God's going to pull out the torch. It's going to be the glory of God. 
He's going to go. And it says, the wood, hay, and the stubble are going to be burned up. The only thing that's going to survive this fire are the gold, the silver, the precious stones. So the question that God began to put in my heart is, what are you doing with your life that's going to endure the fire? What if, what if, again, I bring this big pile to God and I said, look at this pile, it's awesome, look at it. He goes, what else you got? There's nothing left. But Lord, that was, that was my whole life. I spent my whole life doing that. He said, I know, but I didn't ask you to do any of it. Notice what your Bible says. Don't miss what it says. He says, you will be saved, but you will suffer loss. Here's the loss that I believe he's talking about. You know, some people say, well, I don't just care about that reward stuff. I'm not serving God for rewards. No, we're not serving God for rewards. That's not the motivation. It's the focus. The focus, I'm, Jesus is my focus. I hear all these disclaimers. Listen, folk, rewards is not my idea. It's God's idea. So I just need to live mindful of rewards that is what I'm doing, what God called me to do, because I'm only going to be rewarded on what he called me to do, not what I made up for myself to do. See, I, I can choose a career path and I can do it and it can be a good thing. And it cannot hurt anybody. It doesn't have to be a choose to be a drug dealer. You can choose a good career path. But if it's not what God asks you to do, you'll be saved, but you'll suffer loss. And here's what I believe the loss is. I believe in that moment. You know, when people say, I, Chad, I don't care about rewards. I don't need, I believe in that moment, you absolutely will care about rewards. Because our focus will be heavenly. It will be eternity. It will not be on the now. It will be eternity. And the loss we will feel is what I could have done. That's the loss you'll feel. How many of us have experienced that in life when we come to a place where we go, ah, oh, I should have, could have, would have. That's the loss I believe is going to happen when we see our blaze of glory shot down and nothing's left. And we realized that we wasted time building something that wasn't of God. Chad, are you trying to make me feel guilty? No, I'm trying to help us. So we're focusing our life on the right purpose. It's not too, you say, well, it's too late. It's never too late. You know when it's too late? It's when the trumpet sounds. Doo -doo -doo. That's when it's too late. Until then, you need to be doing what God created you to do. You need to be building your pile based on his reward. You're like, well, I don't know everything I'm supposed to. I know I don't know what ever, everything I'm supposed to do either, but do what he's asked you to do today. Do what's in front of you. Do it with all of your might. Pursue the things of God because that's what our rewards are going to be based on. So now how do we apply these two gates? How do we apply finishing strong and our rewards? How do we apply this to our life? I want to ask you, are you finishing strong today? It's easy to start something. I'm going to start serving God. I'm in it. I'm, I'm going to serve God, really. I'm going to give him all I've got. Well, we need, to, we need to finish. I mean, in softball, baseball, if you play softball or baseball and you hit, it, hit the ball, what do they tell you to do at first base? They tell you to run through the base, right? They don't say run to first, stop, and put your... They say run through the base, if you're a sprinter, 
You know, you can see the tape. What do they tell you to do? Run through the tape. How many of you have seen on the Olympics or something, you know, World Championship track and field, you see runners that are out in front and they're, they start celebrating and they're, they're letting up and they don't see behind them. Somebody, somebody's going all out. And so just as they're getting ready to get the tape, somebody blows right past them. And they're like, what, 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 ha- what happened? They let up. They didn't finish strong, so they didn't get the reward. The reward was there for the taking, but they didn't finish strong. And so God's telling us, hey, I want you to finish strong. I remember, I remember watching uh, Super Bowl 27, Dallas Cowboys fan, Leon Lett, big cat. Leon Lett recovered a fumble. So, so that's the end zone. He recovers a fumble, and Leon takes off running, big Leon. He's running, and he's looking this way. And the sidelines are right here. He doesn't think anybody, he's running and he's running pretty hard, but then he doesn't see anybody else. So he gets right to the goal line. He starts celebrating. Leon holds up a hand and he puts the ball out like this. He's going to glory into the end zone, but he didn't see Don Beebe of the Buffalo Bills chasing him down. And just as he put that ball down, getting ready, I mean, he was at the goal line. Don knocked the ball away, and he didn't get the reward of a touchdown in a Super Bowl because he didn't finish strong. What rewards are we leaving on the table because we don't finish strong? We use excuses like, well, I'm getting up there. I'm getting old. I don't care about getting old. (laughs) Finish strong. The Bible's full of people who didn't finish strong. Samson, he was good out of the gate. Saul, something about them S's. People that started, Judas Iscariot, started good. The Bible says, he who overcomes, I will give him the crown of life. Say, wait a minute, Chad, are you you trying to get me to question my salvation? <laughs> I, I think the question of eternal salvation and, and once saved, always saved is very unnecessary. Here's why I believe it's unnecessary. What is the debate really about? Is the debate really about I want to see what I can get by with and still get into heaven? Is that what we're really debating? How, how lax I can be in my relationship with God and still get into heaven? Why not just fall in love with Jesus, stay in love with Jesus, and serve him all the way through to the end? Debate over. There's no debate. Why are we debating over stuff that we can't determine anyway? The salvation of a soul is something that God can only determine. So I want to make sure I'm giving it my all to the end. Finish strong in your relationship with God. Finish strong. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I finished my race. Now finally, the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me my reward. And not only me, but all of those who love his appearing. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to finish your race. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. I don't want to get you, I want, don't want anybody to be caught sleeping. I don't want you to be lax. God spoke to me and encouraged me this week. Chad, there's two places in your area, in your life, that you've become complacent and you're not running the way you're supposed to run. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's encouraging the church and he says this to them. He says, everybody who runs, everybody runs in a race, but only one receives the prize. I want you to run to win. 
Run to win. So he goes on to say after run to win, next verse he says this, all athletes are disciplined, they're training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Next verse, 26, so I run with purpose in every step. In sports, you ever heard this phrase, playing not to lose? There's a big difference if you play sports and playing not to lose and playing to win. If you play not to lose, you start getting passive. You just try and protect things and you, you get a little bit, you back up and you're, you're, you're not aggressive anymore. You're just trying to survive. I've got the lead, so let's just survive. Clock, hurry up and tick, tick, tick. Come on, please. This is what we can do in our Christian faith if we're not careful. We can play not to lose instead of playing to win. And this is what God was speaking to me. He said, Chad, there's areas you're playing not to lose. Run your race to win. Well, well God, I, 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 so you're worried too much about what people think. Run to win. You're going to stand before me and give an account to me, not to anybody else. Run to win. So what, 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 if, it, what if it upsets somebody? Who cares? Run your race. Well, it's hard. It is hard. You know, the greatest things, or most frequent things that people say, Chad, it's really hard to serve God. It's true, it's hard. But as Coach Dugan said to Dottie on a league of their own, <laughs> he said, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Is it hard to serve God? Sometimes, but the heart is what makes it great. So I want to ask you this question today. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you finishing strong? Are you doing what he created you to do? Or are you doing what you came up with to do? Are you ready for your rewards? Are you living with your rewards in mind? Are you, are you living in such a way that you know as much as you can know with you that you're doing what God has asked you to do today? Sometimes we've got to understand the principle that when he's asked us to do something, he's given something in our hands, we've got to run to win. And this is why we're going to present this with this wall. You've got your post-it note. If we're going to build this wall, this wall representing the kingdom of God, we need every person doing their part. And on your notes there, it says, is there a section of the wall being built with your name on it? Or is there a gap with your name on it? To do what God's asked us to do, I'm not gonna stand with you on your reward ceremony. You're gonna stand there before God by yourself. You say, well, Pastor Chad, could you come stand beside me? Because I was in your services every week. Come here, see, look at there, Pastor Chad, he's here. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to help you out. I got my own issues to work out. I'm behind you in line. I'm like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm next up. I'm sifting through my stuff, trying to throw out some wood, hay, and stubble before I get to you. <laughs> we got to stand there on our own. But I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to be intimidated. What he created you to do is what you're best at. What he created you to do is what's going to bring the most fulfillment in your life. 
It's not like, oh, I'm gonna have to move to Africa. <laughs> if, I, if I say yes to God, I gotta live in poverty. Or, no. See, we don't need a world full of preachers and missionaries. We need somebody who's gonna run their business according to the principles of the kingdom of God. We need teachers who are gonna teach their classes according to the principles of the kingdom of God. And when you come before God and you bring your business, everything that you did, you say, God, I didn't travel on one trip, but every week I honored you with the first fruits of all my increase. I financed mission trips all around the globe. I spoke to my employees and I talked to them about the kingdom of God. I invited them to church, I prayed with them, I spoke over them, all of this stuff I did. And he said, it looks good, son. Come on, come on. Let me tell you a story in closing. Because in Luke chapter 19, Jesus told this parable. It's about a ruler who called his servants to him. And they're much like you and me. He called his servants and he gave each one a mina. Bam, mina, bam, mina. Each one of them, bam. Ten of them, minas. And then he, he left. And he told them, here's the instructions he told them. He said, do business until I come back. And the King James Version says, occupy till I come back. So what do you think that he wanted them to do business with? He said, do business with my mina. He didn't say, just do whatever you want till I come back. I gave you a mina, do business with that. And so then he comes back and he says, I want to bring everybody to me and I'm gonna inspect them and I wanna see how much every man had gained by trading. So he brings the 10 that had a mina. Each one had the same mina. And he wanted to see how much they had gained. They had increased. They had utilized what he had given them. The first one he talked to, Lord, your one mina has made, I've made 10 minas with it. I did business with what you gave me. The Lord said, that's awesome. We'll put you over 10 cities. Next one up, I took your mina, I made five more minas with it. Said, awesome, put you over five cities. Next one comes up, uh, Lord, I knew you were very strict and I didn't want to lose your mina through risky living like some of them other people. So I saved the mina you gave me and I hid it in my handkerchief so I could give it back to you just like you gave it to me. Now did, did the Lord say, oh, great job, thank you for protecting my mina. That's not what he said. Here's what he said, you wicked servant. You knew that I was strict and I want to return on my investment. You could have done something, well, you at least could have put it in the bank and collected interest, but no, you hid it selfishly. And so now I have nothing to show for it. Here's the application for you and I. Each and every one of us, he handed us a mina in this world. And he said, do business till I come back. Do business till I come back. Here's your mina. Now don't compare your mina to somebody else, but do business with your mina because he's gonna come back and he's gonna ask you, you say, now show me your pile of what you did with my mina. You're like, well, I really didn't like my mina. So I chose to do something else. You may still go to heaven, but you will suffer loss because you'll realize you wasted the time on this earth com 
compared to eternity. You'll realize that this earth is all about investing in a long-term investment. How we live for eternity is determined by what I do with this sliver of a vapor called my life. So my desire for you and the question that God asked me is, Chad, what are you doing with my mina? Are you doing business? Are you doing my business or are you doing your business? Do business till I come back. I've been busy. Yeah, we say that. We're busy. Well, we're busy. Are you busy with my business? Are you busy with your business? So here's what I want to ask you, every eye on me. What are you doing with the mina that God gave you? He's coming. He's coming. There'll be no more sermons and church services. It'll be too late. Eternity will show up. Bam. Jesus will arrive. And everybody, oh, okay, I believe in Jesus. Ah, too late. Too late. And we stand before the judgment seat of Christ with our pile of our life. Here's what I did. Here's what I built. I'm so proud. Did you do what God wants you to do? I don't know. Is it going to be wasted? Or are you going to lay down your life for the right cause? I want to encourage somebody to put their name on that wall and say, God, I'm going to do business with your mina. We don't, we don't need a bunch of more preachers. We need somebody that's going to go into their office and carry the kingdom of God with them. We need hundreds of thousands of people in this region that are willing to live out Jesus every day and show people the goodness of God. You think that your mind is not valuable if you're not doing something on a platform, but I'm telling you, it's, we need teachers that are gonna say that I, I couldn't talk about Jesus openly, but I talked to my students on a regular basis, privately. I prayed over my students every day. I taught them with a passion and with the gifts that God gave me. And whew, I'm telling you, he will say to you, let's give her 10 cities. Let's give him 10 cities because she was faithful. He was faithful to do what I asked them to do.